Greetings, this is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan, Rockefeller Center at Newsstand Studios. Uh, joined with kind of a whole new crew. It's a whole new show today. Uh, I got uh, Nastasia uh, the Hammer Lopez is MIA. Where she is, uh, nobody knows. Somewhere at an un- undisclosed uh, location in the state of Connecticut, somewhere near the coast. Maybe she's wrestling with a great white shark. Uh, I don't know. But even though he no longer officially works with Booker and Dax, we have in the studio... Now going to be ongoing, we hope, recurring just studio mate, colleague. Yeah. Yeah, John yeah. Hool. How you doing? No longer doing customer service extraordinaire. I'm no sure longer, you're, yes. I'm sure you're super sad to not... Uh... Tragic, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I miss it every day. Yeah, so even though, like, you know, John's going to be coming back on the show, don't send him your questions. Don't, don't text me anymore, also. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, te- he's got a real job. Why don't you, you want to, well, we'll, 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 we'll go through, we'll go through. Uh, rocking our panels here in uh, New York, as always, Joe Hazen, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Happy Friday. Yeah, yeah, special time, so uh, unfortunately we couldn't record on our normal uh, time this week, and, <laughs> oh, oh, the trailing, the trailing whoopee cushion or whatever, oh no, that's the trailing party whistle. Friday. Have you ever put, um, have you ever put... It's horrifying. Like, uh, on next New Year's Eve, if someone gets those terrible silvered cardboard horns with the little plastic whistles on the end, you know what I'm talking about? Those yeah. party things? Horrible. Yeah. Uh, Not- ho- horrible. But what you need to do is five, minimum five, right? If, you, if, you haven't, if your lungs are still young and big, maybe you could go six. You wrap them all up, and you shove them all in your mouth like— if, it, when I was a kid, the Guinness Book of World's Record, one of the things they used to have a world record for was simultaneous smoking of cigarettes. They stopped doing that <laughs> because it's not cool. But if you were like a kid in the 70s and you bought the Guinness Book of World's Records, one of the pictures in it, you know, it was a guy whose face was wrapped around what looked like a log, but it was just a whole crap ton of simultaneously lit cigarettes. So this is the vibe you're looking for with the party horns. And then what you do is you just breathe as deep as you can, and then you just, you whoo, and you blow out as hard as you can, and it sounds like a dying war goose. It's like the loudest, most, like everyone in the room will bull plots. Yeah. yeah Lovely. Yeah. Is it like a vuvuzela? Oh, what's that? The Vuvuzela, the South African horns? Oh, no, I don't know that. Probably, if, if it's horrifying, then yes. They were like banned during the World Cup in the 90s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, oh, my God. Okay, I don't watch sports, okay? Yep. Stipulated, I, I don't watch sports. But in the, uh, remember when the Mets beat the Sox in 86? Uh, Wasn't born yet, so no, I do not remember. But you've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. So there's this, it's, there's this irritating lady who would stand behind the the mound. She ha- she got the seats right right in the pitcher's line of sight, and she would sit there twirling some crap to try to distract the pitcher. I'm like... Wait, that was uh, uh, Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden? Uh, they were two 86? of the stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Outfield and, and uh, pitcher? Uh, yeah, like, I don't remember. Used to have those meetings on the mound from the outfield. It's weird. Yeah, all I know is this lady twirling her crap. I was like, what the hell, man? Like, that's your whole thing? That's your whole life? That's what you do. Yeah. That's 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 the honorable thing for you to do. Sit there and twirl crap. Be a human. Yeah. Uh, rocking the panels in California. We got uh, Jackie Molecules. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You're not nice uh, being here on a Friday. Not in Mexico. You're in L.A. I'm in L.A. Yeah. Yes. Although not next week. The week after, I'll be in Alaska. So if anybody what? has any recommendations for me there, food wise. Okay, I I'll bite. Take them. Why? <laughs> um, just a trip with my friends, like yeah. my high school buddies. We do a trip every year, and uh, one of my friends has a his little brother who lives out there. So, yeah, just figured where in go. Alaska? So yeah, uh, Anchorage, and then around Denali. Oh, nice for nature stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope yeah. you get up in the mountains because down in the lowlands, I'm told that there are n- there is. N- on Earth, no better place to get stung by mosquitoes than Alaska in the summertime. That, like, oh. you know, like that long Great. light, they just grow up to be like the size of small birds and they'll just come and they'll suck you dry. That's what I hear. I hear like an Alaska mosquito in the summertime is like a, a sight 
that you have not yet beheld. So, like, you know, that's good. They got a lot of, like, standing water on the ground and those little pools and stuff. You know, standing water, like, long periods of daylight, you know, long dusk so they can hang around. You know how, like, they like to come out at the beginning and the end, right, of the day? What if the beginning and the end of the day are each, like, six hours long? You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's yeah. light most of the time, but then you have those super long kind of twilighty craps. Like that's mosquito heaven right there, man. I'm jealous, Jack. I've always wanted to go to Alaska. Poop on Dave. Poop on me in general. <laughs> Poop on me. I listen, listen, I always also want to go to Alaska. However, I have a bad taste in my mouth because I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a dentist in Alaska. And he's uh, I just can't remember the name of the valley, but there's a famous valley in Alaska where they grow the world's largest cabbage, right? Mm-hmm. So the British people think that they have the lock on cuz the British people kind of started this giant vegetable thing like if you if you go to Britain like they're the people that figured out that yeah 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 yeah. They're they're the people that'll lay like, you know, 20 feet of PVC pipe so they can grow a 20-foot carrot. You know what I'm saying? Like and they'll have the they'll have the pipe running up the side of their house so that at the end they can unlock the pipe and get this 20-foot carrot out. I'm not saying I mean, maybe it's 20 feet. I don't know how long it is, but like they're like, here's an ugly giant radish. You know what I mean? I'm British. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like and so that's kind of what they do, but in Alaska, <laughs> legitimately they can grow like 100-pound cabbages and be- like legitimately they can just grow that crap. And uh, I've been fascinated with it ever since um I got a copy of the Pacific Northwest 1970s uh, Time Life Food Books, and there's a picture of a small girl and a giant cabbage. And so I'm like, what could be better? Small girl, giant cabbage, great picture, and I want to do worlds, I want to do chainsaw coleslaw. And so Steve Hubachek is the guy's name. I'm pretty (laughs) sure his name is Steve Hubachek. He's a dentist, and he grows the world's largest cabbage. So we called him. I've said this on the show many times, but at the old network, so, you know, whatever, I can say it again. So we call up Steve Hubachek, Nastasi and I, from the French Culinary Institute, and and he's like, yeah, 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 you know, like, I keep, like, I don't remember what he sounds like, but he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's two or three, they're going to be the ones that are, like, the the champions, and then the other ones that are, like, but they're only, like, 10 or 15 pounds less. He's like, they're not so important. So, yeah, I can ship you one of those if you pay for the shipping. I'm like, yes! (laughs) And then I think he thinks that we want to steal his seed stock. I don't know. All of a sudden, he just ghosted us. So I don't know whether he thinks we're trying to steal his... His, uh, what's it called? But, like, I still have this dream that I can get a Steve Hubachek, uh, a Steve Hubachek cabbage, like, you know, just like, a, like, oh, like an industrial mayonnaise bucket. And because the new electric chainsaws, okay, if, if the chainsaw's never been used before, you can fill temporarily. You don't want to fill your, uh, so for those of you that never used a chainsaw before, it's not just, the electricity. It's the fact that you have to put bar oil in to lubricate the bar. And they do make uh, like non-petroleum based, like basically like stabilized food oil, bar oil for your chainsaws in case you don't want to be throwing petroleum products into the forest. Right. And I, I buy that, you know, well, back when I chainsawed, I, I would buy the biodegradable like, you know, but, you know, on a temporary basis, you could buy a brand new chainsaw, like electric one, and just fill that sucker with salad oil. And so you're not worried about it. When you're setting up your chainsaw, you want to run it and you want to throttle it up and you want to see a little bit of oil spraying off the bottom of the bar onto like whatever you're testing. Otherwise, you're too dry, right? It's not like it's going to be that much oil, but you want it to be food grade. Are you guys with me? Yeah. Speaking of with me, so since you're no longer going to be customer service uh, extraordinaire, right, John, and since you... uh, are also not going to be running the Discord panel or the questions for the radio show, I am pleased to announce that the person who is taking over your position is also uh, is also with us today on the air, coming to us live from Vancouver Island, uh, and a friend of the show, and you guys probably all know him already from his ice cream and gelato book, Quinn Fucile. Right? How you doing, Quinn? I'm good, thank you so much. All right, and for those of you that don't know, what's what's your it's Q Dragon what thirteen what what is it what is that what is the number uh, afterwards? Oh uh, yeah, yeah on Instagram and stuff it's uh, Q Dragon one three three seven. Again, I I made that username when I was you know twelve, so yeah. bear that in mind. All right, and and now I'm just 
Yeah, I'm too committed. I like commitment. So, uh, for you know, for my uh, handle on eBay was my original uh, Sporkula. Okay. Yeah. Sporkula, yeah, and that was from <laughs> in college. I was obsessed with sporks. Even though, let's all be honest with each other, sporks suck. No one likes eating out of a spork. Yeah. I like Popeyes. I don't. No one likes. That's where you used to get the plastic spork. But like, does anyone like a spork? Does it feel good in your mouth? It's a bad spoon because it can no longer hold as much because it's got the little indents. And it's a bad fork because the times aren't long enough. It's the worst of everything. Right? Yeah. It's the worst of everything. It is. Yeah. So listen, I encourage all of you to uh, go out there, follow Quinn if you haven't followed him already, friend of the show, and then uh, start directing your customer service and uh, Patreon and show-related stuff to Quinn. However, give the guy a couple of minutes. This is, like Today, right now, is literally his first day. So, you know, uh, while you know, Quinn is an, yeah. a, a champion at uh, running people through things, troubleshooting over telephones and whatnot, right? You know, uh, just give, you know, be a little bit gentle to start. Am I wrong, Quinn? Uh, yeah, no, that's correct. I'm, I'm sure I'll... Uh... I'm sure I'll get the hang of it uh, in due time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. And so, like, and, the, and of course, the reason that John left, he actually has started his new job. He is now the uh, chef at uh, Temperance, even though, as we said before, I mean, it's not a Temperance joint, it's a wine bar. So, yes. why is it called? You know, I haven't had the time to ask that question yet. Yeah. Well, I'm not- <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question. I should ask the owner. I interact with him every day, but yeah, no, been uh, been a little bit busy. Why, uh, why, why, uh, why temperance? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and if any of you hear this, uh, see some more housekeeping stuff. If any of you guys hear this and are going to be in New Orleans on Monday, Pernod Ricard is having. I forget the name of the party, but the the gist of it is bars that have closed over the pandemic. Uh, they're doing, you know, a. Uh, a bring the bring the band back kind of uh, party where a bunch of us who don't have bars anymore are gonna go do a an event on Monday. So existing conditions will be there temporarily existing conditions. Yes, yeah, so it'll be temporarily existing conditions. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So Quinn, you cook anything interesting this week? Uh, not this week. Last week I busted open. A homemade guanciale and made some amatriciana, and we finally got our hands on some of that newfangled uh, cascatelli pasta. Oh yeah! So we're cooking that today. So oh, so you haven't cooked it yet? So I, I'm curious to hear yeah. what your review of that shape is. I like it actually. It's fine. I think it's fine shape. What do you think, John? Yeah, I had it once. It kind of you know it's bouncy. Yeah. It's got some bounce. Yeah. Right? I like a shape with bounce. Yeah. What are your thoughts on other... What are your... Okay, 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 guys. So, first of all, guanciale. For those of you that don't know, cured gel. Now, I got a couple of questions for you, Quinn. Rolled or flat? And mm-hmm. then, which, which? Did you go rolled or did you go flat? Uh, flat, uh, this time, a little while ago, like a few years ago, I used to do kind of a hybrid of guanciale and pancetta, but it was the entire pig face rolled mm-hmm. up. And that was pretty good, too. Rolled face. That's my next... Uh, who was I joking with is going to open a restaurant called Face Meat? Was that on the show, or was that, was that last week? Yeah, that was... Well, that, yeah, I think it was last week. That was Nick. That was yeah, Nick that Wong. was Nick Wong. Yeah, face meat. Well, you have to make some of your yeah. your face meat guanciale. Face off, face yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now, if you're gonna go flat, here's the other question: skin on, skin off. Um, I can't remember. No, I think we do do skin off. Skin off. Yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah. I can't just like. Just not pictured Leatherface in my sauce. Ooh, I mean like the uh, the murderer, Texas Chancellor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these is peep. These are pigs, not people, though. <laughs> not that much difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leatherface. All right. 
See, so what you're saying is you want like a guanciale chili called like, yeah, <laughs> Leatherman chili. All right, Leatherface chili. Leatherman's different. That's a Connecticut yes. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to keep, got to keep our references straight on this show. All right, okay. Uh, I've said this a million times before, and I've never done it, but I've, uh, I bought all this stuff to start making my own. Uh, you'll have to. So Quinn's dad is actually Italian, and so that's why he goes by the actual Italian pronunciation of his name, which I won't rebutcher again, as opposed to how we would pronounce it over here, like Fusil or whatever, right? Uh, but what'd you say your dad got called once at a restaurant for the pronunciation of the last name? Um, I'm not sure I can say it on a yeah, yeah, because it's friendly a, show. Yeah, well, no, it's not an actual curse. That's the thing. It just sounds like a curse. So it's kosher. Yeah, you got called fuckle. Yeah, that's not right, people. What kind of <laughs> idiot would do that? I just have to see... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pe- not a hard C. Yeah, I know. People are, people are, people are dumb. <laughs> people are real dumb. Uh... So I've always wanted to make my own. Um, I'm going to pronounce it like 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 my family pronounces it, supersad, right? So like soprasata, you know what I mean? But like, uh, I grew up eating it my whole life. I've had other people's homemade. I've never made it. I bought this stuff and I ne- I have everything to make it, but I've yet I've never made it. Why? Is it because I'm stupid or lazy or because I live in an apartment and I think I would get a lot of side eye or a combination of I'm supposed to be writing a book instead for yep, years. I too. It will make a, an unholy mess in my apartment, and I will get side eye. So there's all those things that have conspired to have me not make it. But I've always wanted to make it, and the, the homemade ones that I like, I don't like them hyper pressed. I like them lightly pressed, and uh, I've always wanted to do the the let it cure and toss it in oil. And I've never I've never even eaten one of the like you know, two-year-old tossed in oil where you keep it around forever and it just keeps going in oil, but it doesn't dry out anymore. You guys know about that? No. So you take the super sod to, and, you know, I know this is a thing that, like, uh, Leo DeGroff, Leo and Dale DeGroff, you know, the cocktail people, they do in Rhode Island where they call them soupies, right? And so they age them until they like the hardness of it, right? So that's a dehydration. And then to stop any further dehydration, they just pitch them into, into oil, in containers, and then they just let them ride however long they want. Huh. It's kind of cool, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. And I've never, he keeps on saying, Leo keeps on saying he's going to give me one so I can taste it, but now I'm just curious about this, like, as a, as a way, like, length, lengthy aging in the same way that, you know, although I have to say, when I've had hyper-aged tunas, they're interesting. I wouldn't necessarily say they're Better, although I know a lot of people who would disagree with me. Do you like a hyper-aged tuna? Have you ever tried those? No. Like a like a two and three and four and a ten-year-old tuna? I don't, no, I don't think so. They're okay. Yeah. They're okay. You know what I mean? But I'll be interested because I think there's a lot more going on uh, enzymatically in a super sod than there is in uh, in a can of tuna, although I'm happy to be wrong about that. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what are you working on your menu, John? Lots of things. Trying to figure out what needs to be kept and how they can be improved upon. I don't know. There was a lot of a lot of sandbagging going on oh, before yeah. I showed up. In a bad way, like to the detriment of quality. I think so. Just like lazy things over making way too much. You know, like, yeah, I don't want to get into like specifics on air, but you know, it's just like things that are just like, wow, I can't believe this is how things were done, you know, before showing up here and, um, you know, just, yeah, stretching ingredients for longer than they should be and yeah. things like that. So yeah, yeah, it's a lot to, a lot to change. So you're redesigning stuff to, to not require the immense sandbagging. Yeah. We're going to prep this dish once a month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, there's, it's, a, it's a fine line, right? You don't want to do, like, unless you're going to charge an infinity of money, right? That's another thing. Hey, we're going to charge an infinity of money, and we'll prep everything fresh every day. That's why, like, uh, Andre Soltner from Lutes, right? Yeah. It, there wasn't an infinity of money, but f- for New York restaurants in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, it was, you know, a big check, but they just did all their stuff, like, fresh every day. Yeah. So I was like, hey, you know, chef, did you ever have a vacuum machine? And... This is one of those, like, trigger, like, not trigger, but, like, you know, flip switching in my head of understanding the difference between the way old guard thinks and, and new guard thinks. He's like, no, I never needed a vacuum machine because I bought 
all of my stuff fresh every day. And I was like, oh, yeah, you don't see it as a tool to help you achieve things. It's merely a way to make your – it's merely a way to sandbag, yeah. to, like, keep stuff for longer. And so he really – it was just a very, like, bright bing. Oh, I, yeah, I yeah. get I get this divide between his generation and, you know, my, you know and the newer generation. And, uh, you know, I'm two, I'm two or three generations, you know – uh, whatever uh, of chef of of, of f- food person you know behind yeah. him but um yeah it was interesting yeah um so but it's always this thing right where you know we especially if you're trying to do a lot of you know interesting stuff and you don't want to charge an infinity of money you have you have to consolidate some of the prep and not do it every day yeah, and it's really hard to figure that out too because it's a wine bar that hasn't been known for its food. So it's, you know, like some nights you're really, really slow, you know, and you only have like five tickets on the board, you know, yeah. for like an hour or something like that. And it's right. you doing a lot of prep during service. But yeah, you know, last night got slammed to make things on the fly. And yeah. It was just right. Because you, you, you can go and like, you know, I mean, speaking from our what's what's it called our uh, experience at existing conditions if you try to have like a larger food program at a place and you know if you're not pulling a, if a certain if you're not pulling a certain minimum on your food percentage wise as percentage of orders then you'll lose a lot and your food and your labor costs are just through the freaking roof so it's a nightmare yeah. so you know you can go you even like with, with with a with a menu that would be decently planned where you're running like you know 20 you know 25 on food right 25% on food for those of you that aren't in the business, that means like, you know, what you're charging, a quarter of that charges the, the food. And you, you generally you want to stay under 25, right? Yeah. You know, for this kind of thing or even less if you can, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. But, you know, if you don't have people ordering enough of it and you're prepping it out, all of a sudden your food costs creep into the 30s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then you can't sustain that. And yeah. then plus you have to have the labor to be able to make this stuff. So then your labor costs are spiraling out. It's very hard to manage. So unless you can get your – unless you can get above like 25 30% of the check to be food, it's very hard to make a – I mean it can be done, but it's very hard I think to design a program that satisfies your desire to be good – and yet also keeps costs in line, right? Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, the cost thing is a very new thing for me. I haven't had to deal with yet. So, you know, I'm learning and it's a lot to think on too. But I mean, and that's why I think like a lot, you know, that's why a lot of bar programs, right? They either want to pull crap out of the freezer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and throw it in the fryer. Yeah. Or it's why it's hard to get good. It's why it's hard to be good. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? It really is. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. But, you know, don't have to worry I'm about sure labor costs right it. now because I don't have the sous chef because so, he quit on my <laughs> second day. Get this. Second. Now, w- was the sous chef already working there and was yeah. like, I didn't get promoted. I'm out. Yeah, basically. Gave me four days notice. Hey, listen, people, 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 people. This world is not as big as you think it is. Right. There may be seven and a half billion people on Earth. But unless you're going to move to a place where nobody knows anybody. Right. Unless you're going to move from – you're never going to work in hospitality again. Unless you're going to try to tap an entirely new network where nobody knows anybody, right? Don't leave like that. Yeah, not cool. Don't leave like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Life has been difficult this week. Yeah. I mean it's just like – I think how, – how old are they? Old enough. I think they were early 40s. Oh, they should know better because they've seen people leave badly before. If you've never seen somebody leave badly, maybe you don't know. Yeah, but still. Then I give you the benefit. You know what I mean? Yeah, but now he's been around long enough that he he should have known better. Right. I can see resenting it. Yeah. Being pissed. Yeah. Wanting to get pulled up and – and but clearly they wanted to change the culture of the restaurant. Yeah. Right. And the only way to change the culture of the restaurant, unfortunately, typically, unless there's a vehement disagreement between the sous and the exec, is to hire from outside. Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate, but that's life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like, you know, now they've poisoned themselves for getting a job with anyone in your network. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I do. Yeah, I'm not going to speak very highly of them uh, after after this. Yeah, I mean, you're not that. You're not a vindictive kind of 
of a of a guy, so no. you're not going to actively go out and no. try to try to blackball. No. But I mean, whereas I know many chefs that are like that. Yes. Didn't they, didn't somebody try and create a blackball list back in the day? There were discussions about it, like creating like a master like document to share among like a certain level of chef network friends. Well, the way it worked, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but the way that it worked, like for the people that I know that it, you know that this was happening to, is like you know, like, first of all, like sometimes like I know that there are projects that I didn't get just because everyone's like, oh, he's a freaking wingding, yeah. Which you know what, fair, because like either if you want to, if you don't want to deal with my personal whatevers and it's not that I'm evil but I, I you know especially if I don't have someone helping me respond to things yeah I can be disconcerting because you don't know that I'm going to do the work that I say I'm going to do even though I do yeah you know what yeah, I mean yeah. I do the work yes, anyway you do. Yeah. Um, but yeah some of the black like hard blackball stuff I know like the way it works is as gross as you think it is like yeah. the person who has the most power throws a blackball down on somebody and then you know basically then if any of their buddies wants to hire it then they're shamed into not doing it because then they won't be part of the cool kid club anymore so gross yeah yeah so like you know and the the people that in general if you're working for fancy chef a right you know you don't the the real world is not the bear that's not the (laughs) that's not the real world you know what i mean uh, that's not how it works. So, like, you know, it, it, so, you know, the fancy chef B that you want to go work with probably knows fancy chef A. So, yeah. unless you are willing to start your own place and you have your money lined up, like, getting blackballed is very damaging. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Very. And I think the whole concept of blackballing is gross and disgusting. Yeah. But on the other hand, it is perfectly reasonable to not give someone a good recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfectly reasonable. That's Absolutely. not evil. Yeah. No, agreed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, be like, I oh, wouldn't. They left me high and dry. That's all you need to say. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really I get to work with them that much. That. I always give people. What do you say? Oh, that's a good one. I always give good recommendations, even if I don't love the person. You shouldn't. You know why? Because then that reflects on you. Exactly. Well, I'm creative about how I do it. I'll, I'll find like the right thing to highlight, but I just have a hard time being like, "You shouldn't hire that person." I mean, the, the, <laughs> and it's different. I guess yeah. it's different in my field. It's not like restaurants where I know the people. You know, it's it's media. It's like people that have interned for me at radio stations and stuff. So I'm I, like, I don't want to ruin there. Who knows? Maybe they turned it around. Back when I was at the French Culinary Institute, part of my job was to go to chefs and recommend my interns to get jobs at places, right? And when I closed mm-hmm. Booker and Dax, part of my job was to help find landing places for um, our crew, right? And right. I didn't do that at XCon because there were no landing places. It was a pandemic, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but um, I have had, I've had, very loud, heated, yell at me, like yell at me arguments where the the place that I sent people has come back and said, why did you recommend this person? X, Y, and Z has happened. And oh. I've had to mediate. I had to mediate saying, this is why I recommended them. And I think you're wrong in this case or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, like the thing is, is like, I think the heart, just don't recommend somebody to a job if you don't. Like if someone's getting a job and they put you for a recommendation and and you don't like them, that shows even more that they don't – you know what I mean? That they don't have a handle on what's going on. Point. So it's – you know, you need – Good point. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like you don't want it coming back and biting you that your recommendations aren't solid. You know what I mean? Yep. I mean, I've had people where yeah. I give recommendations where I'm like, they're really good at X, Y, and Z and not so good at, you know – like D, E, and F, but they're worth it because they're so good at X, Y, and Z, and you really don't need this person to do D, E, and F. That's valid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're being upfront and honest about the whole picture. Yeah, but still very enthusiastic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but this this Jamoke, this Jamoke. Yep. 
Not not cool. Not going to get very flattering flattering recommendations from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing, especially the job you just left. If any, if you if you have any brains, they're going to call you and ask you. Even if they're yeah. even if you're not put as a rec. Yeah, they'll call and ask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even if they don't call me, they'll call the restaurant owner. You know, cause, I mean, I would see that as being more plausible. But the restaurant owner thinks the same things I do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. not a cool thing to do. Don't leave people high and dry. Yeah. Well, as soon as as soon as they as as you worked it down in the sandbagging and they could see over to the pass over the top of all of the of the pre made stuff and the sandbags going down, they got freaked out. They wanted to get back into a foxhole, so they yeah. they quit. That's what it yes, was. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yep. All right. But yeah, I don't know. I've been cooking a lot of stuff. Obviously, some things that have gone well and some things not so well. Um, Got a good burrata dish with a roasted red pepper and cherry mustarda that I have with some basil oil. Um, so, like, the mustarda is red? Yes. And how how picante is it? How much mustard in it? Not too much. Like, enough on its own. Like, if you just eat it on its own, it's, you know, kind of intense. But when you pair it with the burrata, it just, like, kind of mellows it out and just it's there. And how much of the thickness is from sugar and how much from pectin? Like, how does it feel of it? Like, is it more like a syrup or more like a jelly? Where are you? Uh, thick enough that I can it onto the plate. Okay. And I okay. put some fresh uh, fresh cherries on top of that. Yeah. Um, but then, like, the other day, I had got some baby carrots in from one of the producers that weren't great. They were meant for, like, the crudite plate, but they were kind of limp and didn't snap or anything, so I roasted them off. And I wanted to do, like, a roasted carrot dip with a salsa verde for some reason. I don't know. Like, in my head, that sounds really good, but I have not been able to really pull that together yet. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just like, it's just missing something. The salsa verde part's good, but the carrot dip is meh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to the bear, according to the bear, it's missing acid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen. Uh, so, like, I watched that show because my wife watches that show. Right? In general, I don't watch cooking shows. Have you watched yeah. this thing? Uh, almost done with it. Most of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, the thing that for me makes no sense is when there are multiple groups of people yelling at each other at a time. I've never in my life seen that in a kitchen. When one, when two people are yelling at each other, everyone else shoves their head in their butthole. Yeah, that's and true. turns into a turns into a box turtle or an ostrich. Yeah. and makes themselves into the tiniest <laughs> humans on earth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's very uncomfortable to be around. Yeah, it's yeah. horrifying, and everyone's just like "nami nami." You know how like when there's on the subway and someone gets into the subway and just starts screaming or does something, and you'll look anywhere to not look at them. You know, yeah. tuck yourself into your own body. That's what it's like to be in a kitchen when people yeah. are yelling. You know what I mean? And so, like, it's completely unrealistic that you would have these like massive. All these big personalities yelling at each other, yeah. No. No. Never. No. No, not ever. <laughs> you, yeah. know what, you know what I mean? Uh, just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I'm going to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so, wait, what were we talking about? We're talking about mustarda. Yep. Then carrot dip. Needed oh, more acid. needed more acid. Oh, you know what I've been working on? So I said I went to this uh, uh, Eamon Rocky demonstration when I was in Rochester a month or so ago. Right. And so he was doing – have I already said what he was doing? He was doing um, infusions in extremely high-proof ethanol, like Everclear, like, you know, like 95% or 90%, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what I never thought about before. Like I, I knew, for instance – I know, for instance, that um, – polyphenol oxidase enzymes, you know, that's why nitro muddling works because you're nitro muddling and then thawing it in alcohol so the herbs don't oxidize as quickly. But I never thought of the, I mean, I have thought of it, but he's like the, the kinetics of infusion in extremely high proof is very different. So you get a different group of molecules because the, the, the solubility is different in alcohol versus in water. So when you literally exclude water, mm -hmm. right, uh, from the mix, you get a different kind of infusion than you would and, and then dilute it down again, right? So, for instance, uh, polyphenols in, in tea are not as uh, soluble in pure ethanol. This is what he said. And he made some tea things in pure ethanol and then mm -hmm. diluted them down. I thought it was a really interesting concept. So then I started doing um, mint in pure in in pure ethanol, and I have to say it lasts a lot longer. I was able to get a fresh mint 
flavor in, in pure ethanol that you then diluted uh, down to last over a week. Wow. Over a week. And I was able to, after it was diluted down to 40, now it wasn't, or 50 percent, it wasn't as good in a yeah. week, but it was still acceptable. And here's another thing I did. So I took, I took uh, 30 grams of mint, so quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took 30 grams of mint leaves picked yeah. uh, and dry, and I put, um, I think, 90, I think I did three to one of uh, Everclear on it in a zippy, exclude the air, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it infiltrates, the, the mint gets crispy because the, it gets dehydrated because all the water, like, diffuses out of the mint. Wild. And so the mint turns crispy. And anywhere that there... I haven't done it in a vacuum bag because I was interested in doing techniques that anyone could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was trying specifically trying to not use any technology. So within three or four hours, you get a bright, bright green... Uh, like uh, liquor, right? Uh, you know, pure ethanol tincture of mint that is extremely strong and still very bright. So then I tried to make a, a, a mojito pie. So what I did is I made the I made a uh, so bo- sorry Monroe Boston Strauss, right? <laughs> he does this uh, he does this pie uh, this this lemon curd that's not a traditional lemon curd. So what he does is he boils sugar and and lemon uh, peel, right? Then he adds a cornstarch slurry because even though in all of the papers it says how much he hates cornstarch, all of his recipes are super high in cornstarch, like super high, like too much goddamn cornstarch. In fact, like that's the downfall of this recipe. I got to figure out a way to do it more traditionally. So here's what I did. I, I added the cornstarch. I brought it back to the, to the boil to the, for the cornstarch to clear out, right? Mm-hmm. Then – and this – it got a little cooked, but then I dumped – 60 for one pie. I dumped 60 mLs of this mint liquor into it. Okay. And then let the alcohol flash off because I didn't want the pie to be highly alcoholic. Right. Right. So I let it flash off and that was a little bit of cooking. Then get this. He takes it off the heat, stirs in the egg or egg yolk, depending on what you want to do, then stirs in the fresh juice. So instead of, I use lemon rind, mint, and lime juice stirred in. So he, he adds the, the egg yolks to let them get a little cooked out uh, mm-hmm. while it's warm, stirs in the fresh stuff, and then when it cools, it sets back to uh, curd or pudding texture because of the starch. So I need to figure out a way to set it with egg with a minimum amount of starch, set it with egg, but still have this advantage that I can add the mint towards the end and the lime towards the end so they, they stay fresh. And then you pour yeah. it into a, into a pre-baked pie shell. But uh, so that's what I've been working on. Uh, I'm trying to figure well, out this recipe. Yep. What about uh, yeah, reducing the starch and then a little bit of potato starch because shouldn't that have a lower gelatinization temperature? Yeah, I mean the and the, then you can, the, you know, the, play around with the egg. I mean, potato starch, yeah, it expands a lot. Potato starch is kind of the most expanding of the starches, but I mean, like, I, I guess it depends on how much you're going to stir it because it also has such rapid breakdown after it. Uh, I mean, I'd like to figure out a way to minimize this st- because here's the thing. So I was ro- also running a bunch of tests because his chiffons are also starch-based and not gelatin-based, right? And so I was trying to do a non-cream-based uh, semi-fredo, okay? So, oh, Quinn, you'll like this. So I was doing a – I was trying to – what I, I was making chiffon pies, and because no one in my house was eating chiffon pies, I was freezing chiffon pies. So, like, when I would freeze the chiffon pie, I would pull the chiffon pie out – I would eat the chiffon pie, and I'm like, this texture, there's something there. It's good. Maybe you could do almost like a semifredo gelato with the egg white and, like, uh, you know, no cream. You have no, no fat, really. You know, like— you Yeah, know. My, 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 semifre- my semifredo recipes, all of the air is from egg white, and I do include usually some cream, but it's not whipped. Right. Right. Well, so this one, the problem with just doing a, uh, a Monroe Boston Strauss, Strauss chiffon, uh, like a zero fat situation, no cream, is that the starch, you can really taste the starch when it's frozen. Frozen, like starch thickened things taste like starch, even when they're cooked. So then I did an agar based one. I did, I, I, I did an agar fluid gel. And then I stabilized the uh, chiffon with uh, an agar fluid gel. Wait. Oh, I poured the agar in hot so the egg white got cooked because that's the key with the Boston, uh, the Monroe Boston Strauss chiffons is he pours hot cornstarch in with the egg. The heat from the cornstarch 
pasteurizes the egg white, and then uh, it stays light enough, long enough that the starch can reset as it cools, and it sets into a permanent uh, shelf-stable chiffon. That's how his stuff works, so without gelatin. So I did that with hot agar, right? Mm -hmm. But still, the texture of the frozen agar wasn't what I liked either. I couldn't get... I think maybe I just need the fat. Like, maybe either you have to make, uh, like, a sorbet... I mean, I like my sorbets with fat in them, too, though. I love coconut milk sorbets yeah. as the base. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. But this one was the mint. It was about the mojito. Yeah. Maybe I'd do a mojito chiffon next time instead. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think that'd be good. Mojito chiffon. Maybe I'll leave a little alcohol in it. But I want it to be family friendly. Yeah. But my sister-in-law, Miley Carpenter, who runs the – she used to run the Food Network magazine. Now she runs – like now she's the boss of that and a bunch of other magazines. Oh, nice. She she got promoted to like, you know, capo de tutti capo, whatever you call awesome. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she hates mint. So for, if any of you guys are ever pitching to her, like if any of you <laughs> people out there are ever pitching to Miley Carpenter, don't pitch mint. Any other herb, don't pitch mint to her. So I didn't know I was going to her house, right? Because it was a Sunday. So usually people come to my house on Sunday. I was testing this pie. So, oh, we're going to Miley's house. I'm like, well, I have this mint pie. And Jen, my wife, is like, she hates mint. What the hell are you doing? Why are you even bringing that? It's an insult. I'm like, because I have to taste it today because I made it today. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and eat a piece of pie right now. I'll bring something else as well. And so, like, I brought the mint pie. And Miley was like, toothpaste pie. Who the hell wants to eat toothpaste pie? I'm like, mojito. She's like, toothpaste. Anyway. <laughs> That was uh, that was how that went. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Should we do a question or two? Let's let's do all the questions. Let's do it. We got three questions. And all then, right. by the way, yeah. If you guys are interested later, if we have time, I've been researching something for something else, right? But uh, you remember how the museum used to want to do uh, um, farm to toilet? So that was yeah. one of the exhibits. Not farm to table. Farm to toilet. Why do you, why are you stopping at the table? Exactly. Do like, the whole process. Whole thing. Farm to toilet. It's the circle of poop. Anyway, so I have some information that people might be interested in in how the inside of your body works with relation to some food, specifically tooting. And we can talk about it later if we have some time. Let's do some questions. Let's do the questions. All right. From Jack Rieger. Hey, Dave. I've noticed sometimes shrimp, typical uh, grocery store, IQF 21, 25 size, can be a bit sudsy after. By the way, for those of you that don't know, IQF is individually quick frozen, and the two numbers that are given afterwards is the range in number of shrimp per pound. I buy 1620s. Yep. Can be a bit sudsy after a few bites, the IQF shrimp. I've also noticed when defrosting shrimp in water, the water gets bubbly. I'm wondering if the two phenomena are related and how to cut down on the effect in the mouthfeel. I've cooked shrimp that did not have this issue. Rinsing multiple times seemed to help. Update, this may be a result of a preservative called sodium tripolyphosphate. Tri there is a, yeah, there is a, something that's added to shrimp, and I don't know whether it's added to all shrimp or not, that can suds out water a little bit. Um, I've never noticed it necessarily the taste of it, but, you know, uh, most, I brine most of my shrimp anyway before I cook them. Um I know that all of us pretty much thaw our shrimp in water, but it always makes me feel bad. Like, I do it, it always makes me feel bad. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like I, like, I used to be the guy, first of all, I would try not buying IQF. The problem with not buying IQF is you have to use, uh, the, the highest quality shrimp, I think, are the block frozen. Uh, the problem is, because what happens with those is, they freeze them, I think, right away on the ship in, like, they, they push them into these, what are they, three pounds, right? Three yeah, pound so. blocks. And they freeze them. And those usually, I've never had any of those kind of taste off on me. And they also, um, they withstand the vagaries of your freezer better. So if you're going to store it for a long period of time, IQF, there's air in that IQF bag, especially after you've opened it. And so you, you can get freezer burny issues on the outside of your, uh, on the outside of your shrimp, if you're not really careful about your storage and about temperature fluctuations, especially if you're in a commercial freezer where you're going in and out of it all the time or it has a lot of defrost cycles or whatnot. So uh, mainly if I know that I'm going to be using three pounds of shrimp at a time, I go block. If I know I'm going to be using just a couple of shrimp at a time, 
you know, at home or whatever, I'll I'll go IQF. But the way I used to hate hate seeing the shrimp in running water. So what I would do is I and it's it's ridiculous. Is you sit there and you run the water over the block, and then you wait, and you're like, when can I peel that shrimp off without breaking it in half? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. So like you, you know, you you're like, well, my my sink's still a little bit gross. So you put a half sheet tray down, then you put a, like a half sheet cooling rack on top of the tray, then the IQF block on top of that, and then you like put a bottle cap under the tray so it drains down, so you get a decent drain. And then you just when can I take that shrimp off? And then you always break at least two or three of them yeah. because you're like, and then you flip the block over and it melts the hole through the block. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so. I think probably you're right. Uh, if there is some sort of preservative that's causing it, so, soaking it in a little bit of water. I, so many people do it that it can't be all that bad. I like to salt anyway. Uh, I mean, I have to say, like, my, I don't even know if it helps, but, like, I grew up making – the way I grew up doing the shrimp is uh, salt, salt, pepper, oil, toss, sit. You know what I mean? And letting it sit in that for a long time before I – you know, it, depending on what kind of cook you're going to do. Yeah. If you're going to do, like, a grill style or – but I don't know. I don't know what to say. What do you got, John? Nothing really. Yeah. It seems like a good answer to me. All right. What yeah. else we got? All right. From John Dunn. In making fruit syrups for shaved ice, what's a good way to get a good yield? Hoping to do a strawberry, raspberry, and pineapple. In the past, I've macerated in sugar and pressed out as much as I can, but wondering if there's a better technique. I would like, would like to keep the fresh, raw taste, so I'd rather not cook things at high temp. Keeping the color is also a plus. No spins all, but have a circulator, Vitamix, and other basic kitchen crap. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I was going to say, like, how crazy are you willing to go? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how nutty are you willing to be? That's what you have to ask yourself, right? Uh, I mean, the best syrup I've ever made was by just uh, reducing uh, clarified fruit juice, like, in, in a rotovap ridiculous you know what i mean yeah like 60 60 bricks strawberry reduction in a rotovap it makes you it it's it's you got to try it once in your life you know what i mean uh, it's it's not it's not tenable okay. it's not tenable yeah to, like you got to try it once if you have access to a rotovap you got to try it once you know what i mean that's like uh 66 bricks Rotovap port reduction. This is something you should try once in your life. Six, you know, sixty-six bricks rotovap bum de venise. Try it once. What do you say, Quinn? Uh, I was gonna say I I don't have a uh, a rotovap, but I did something pretty similar. I did reduce clarified fruit juice in an open sous vide sort of basin so that. It was just above the danger zone. I think it was like around 62. Mm -hmm. And then it just slowly concentrated and it tasted pretty well. Oh, cool. I, um, as well. I have, um, I mean, the, the, the reason to reduce before you, I mean, sorry, the reason to clarify before you reduce, and did they say they did or they did not have a spinzol? They don't have a spinzol, right? No spinzol. So what you're going to need, and if you want your yield to be high, that's the problem. You can either do uh, agar clarification or you can, and just, you know, start with a puree or something or blend it, or you can do a, a blend enzyme and rack, but your, your, your what's it called, your, um, your yield won't be as high. The, the the issue is um, you can't reduce stuff with the with all the pectin in it because if it has that many solids, by the time you reduce it down to where you want, it's going to get burnt. You know what I mean? It's going to taste more cooked. So another thing is is um, you know uh, it's not possible. You could try to dissolve in right. You can clarify it and then just dissolve in sugar. Right, um, without heating it, but you got to remember that if you're taking it to a syrup, and you do, uh, if you do a fifty bricks, right, um, with a fifty bricks, by you know, most like a, even though by weight it's fifty fifty, like like a lot of it's sugar. So you like you know you're gonna have to you're not gonna get as much fruit taste per unit sugar 
as if you reduced it before you jacked the extra last little bit of sugar into it. Does that make make sense? So like, you know, if you have some, if if you can reduce it some and still have the taste be where you want, if it must be absolutely fresh, then, you know, you could try Quinn's like, you know, evaporation over a period of time, you know, keeping it where it's not going to go. I've never tried it, but, you know, Quinn says it works. Give it a shot. Uh, But... Yeah, just doping it with enough sugar uh, is going to make it not at, to be stable. It's going to make it taste less fruity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it probably wants uh, a refractometer because time-wise, if they are going to just add the sugar, they would probably want to know the bricks of their juice, and then they could bring it to 50 bricks while, you know, Accounting for the natural sugar. Yeah, well, I'm assuming. I'm. A, well, I was assuming that they were taking a Brix reading on. Yeah, but go get the. Um, don't even bother getting the expensive refractometer, like because you're going to break it eventually anyway. Like the the current ones do do they're accurate enough, and they're you, I forget what I have, but I have a zero to eighty or zero to eighty two. That's a handheld light one that costs less than thirty bucks on Amazon and if it breaks I don't have to worry about it you know yeah. what I mean whereas the electronic ones eventually they're going to croak on you electronic ones are great for uh, a bar where you don't want to have to be able to look up at a light and you you know you you know they're worth it in that situation but they're going to uh, break sorry. yeah what sir what, one more thing I am working on actually, I literally just designed this I just need to publish it a calculator for fruit syrups, where the sugar you're adding is also in the same fructose, glucose, sucrose ratio mm. as the fruit. Well, like depending on, it's interesting. So, like uh, most most of the time, you know, for me in recipes, it's always easier just to stay with sucrose because when you're adding sweetness. You want to add sweetness in a way where you understand how the dosing works. You know what I'm saying? And or if you need to prevent crystallization, then you go with invert, right? Um, I and and you know uh, it's a known fact in in one of the reasons that people use HFCs in sodas is because when you use sucrose in sodas that have acid over time, there's a there's a, a slow inversion process that happens in acidic environments with sucrose over time. And so the sweetness level of the product can change if you're using sucrose over a long period of time because the acids are going to break it down. Um, but I don't know. I always typically stick with sucrose unless there's a reason not to just because – I think everybody understands so well how it responds to both heat and cold as opposed to fructose, which is crazy the way it responds to uh, heat and cold versus sucrose. I don't know. Um, But for Brick's calculation in general, right, there's a formula that – so this is interesting to me. So I have the – the complicated formula for bricks correcting, which isn't that complicated, it's it's 100 minus the initial bricks over 100 minus the the final bricks, right? That number minus one uh, times the the weight of the product you want to correct, right? That's the formula. But if you want to if you want to take a product and you know it's bricks, and you want just a recipe per 100 grams of that product, it's just. Uh, it's just 100 minus twice the bricks. That'll take it to 50. And so, guess what it is to take it to two-to-one syrup? 200 minus three times the bricks. Guess what if you want to do a three-to-one? It's 300 minus four times the bricks. For everyone who is a Patreon supporter and part of the Discord, this formula is pinned in the drinks section of the Discord channel. Dranks. Here's another thing. Remember, when you're bricks things, you can't use a refractometer on alcohol sugar mixtures. Also, remember that a refractometer is not going to give you an accurate reading of something with higher weight um, 
polysaccharides in it. So for instance, molasses is going to read as a much higher BRICS than its sweetness would imply because there are higher order sugars in it that don't taste as sweet as sucrose. Uh, this is why glucose syrup is thick as hell and has a very high BRICS isn't that sweet because it's got maltodextrin and other dextrins like, like uh, trisaccharides and, like, and higher oleosaccharides that are dissolved, right? And they add to body and they add to BRICS, but they don't add to sweetness. So beware BRICS reading on heavily caramelized syrups. Beware BRICS reading on molasses. Beware it on... Uh, glucose syrup, um, et cetera, et cetera, agave syrup even, because the way they make agave syrup is they, they break the, um, the inulin down to uh, fructose subunits, but they're not always broken down. There's, there's multi-length uh, polysaccharides in that as well. So a, a BRICS reading off of agave syrup is not going to give you an accurate indication of its sweetness, which is why I've never published how sweet they are because they're not standardized and nobody knows. Fair. Yeah. All right. We got one more question within the last four minutes. All right, from Alvin Schultz. Wait, wait, but Quinn, are you going to put your calculator up on the Patreon after you publish it? Come on, man. You publish it wherever you're uh, going to publish yeah, it, yeah, but also course. put it on the Patreon? All right. All right, from yeah. Al- Alvin Schultz. Longtime listener, first-time Patreon supporter. For really? Day- hey, Alvin. What's up? How's Houston? He's not, he's not, I mean, he's not listening live, probably. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, he is from Houston. So yeah. Shout out to Wong and Eddie down in Houston, Texas. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and AJ. He's friends with AJ, too, right? AJ, oh, Eid. AJ Eid, is that who Eid, you should? Yeah, yeah AJ. Eid, sorry, yeah. yes. Um, all right, what unique cooking equipment from around the world should I hunt down? Thinking on the order of Nixtamatic from uh, Mexico City, Belgian Waffle Iron, Crepe Maker, etc. I have a unique opportunity to travel the world and fly private, so checked luggage slash weight generally isn't an issue. Wondering what semi-obscure small appliances I should add to my shopping list. Oh, I feel like the whole Patreon should get in on this. Yeah. I mean, I only know the ones that I bought. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, Crate Maker's a good one, gas-powered. You know, the Crampos? Yeah. Gas-powered, the real one? Yeah, yeah. Like, the Paris Street yeah. Crate Maker? Uh, Crap's on point. And, but you got to have someone build, the, oh, my God, that's changed my life. The thing that I <laughs> built for my Crate Maker, after 20-something years, yeah. 20, however many years I've had that thing, I finally was like, I was like, because, you know, every time I go to a... a uh, what's it called? Like a like a, a diner or a place, and I see the, you know, the the big the big griddle they have, and I watch them slap all the stuff down on the griddle, and I'm like, I have this amazing like griddle like surface, and I can't use it that way because I have no way to catch the fat. Piss me off for years. Maybe Krempus even makes a fat catcher now. I don't know. I don't know. No. But that that thing has changed my life. I now do my burgers on that. I mean, oh, nice. I feel like I'm in a diner. It's amazing. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so the crampos, I would do that. Yeah, you know, you've hit on like, uh, what was the other one? Oh, the waffle, waffle iron. Oh, my God. Get you the waffle iron. Yeah. Alvin, do you have 220 back home? If you have 220 back home, go 220 on the waffle iron. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But listen, I feel we should open this up to the Patreon. Now that Alvin's a Patreon supporter, let's get a list of equipment that people recommend. Uh, where in the world are you going? That's interesting because there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff if you're going to Asia. Uh, you know, if you're going to uh, India or like the Middle East, there's a lots of like interesting pieces of equipment that I'd like to see someone I know play around with. So, in the one minute and thirty four seconds we have left, you want to talk about toots? Yeah, I guess. Okay, listen. I'll, I'll start, and then if people want to hear more later, they can ask me about it. Okay, listen. You understand, everyone understands that your body deals in carbon dioxide and oxygen, right? So you you, you make carbon dioxide and you uh, use oxygen, right? So because your body is actively using that, because your body is actively using oxygen, right, um, if you inhale oxygen and you swallow it into your stomach, that oxygen goes away, right? Mm-hmm. And it approximates what's in your blood, right? Uh, ditto with CO2. Because your CO2 is so soluble, it approximates. What doesn't approximate is nitrogen. So any nitrogen that you swallow basically turns into farts, Okay. So, like, uh, there's a case of someone who had excessive flatulence. By the way, what is excessive? So, normal is anywhere from, like, 300 to, like, 1,200 cc's a day, right, of tooting, right? And that can be split up over however many episodes you want, but that's kind of normal. Anything over 1,500? So, like, anything way over that, like, in the two liters a day, right, that's kind of becoming problematic. So, someone had this—so, what happens is, is that the nitrogen, if you swallow a lot, nitrogen, which is three-quarters of the air— basically goes through the system unchanged 
then when it gets into your gut, it's at atmospheric pressure. So if you put atmospheric pressure, uh, uh, air, into your gut, you can add up to 300 cc's into your colon. This is what they would do without it causing too much pain. They ran these tests because uh, when pilots take off and rapidly go in unpressurized fighter jets up to like 30,000 feet, a lot of them experience abdominal distress because of the rapid expansion of the air that's in their colon. So this was tested. I'm going to get very close, Joe, a little bit more. But get this. Uh, so what happens is, is you have this nitrogen track there, and then bacteria add to it, and the pain you feel is when the bacteria produce overpressure over mm-hmm. atmospheric pressure inside of your system. But you can reduce the overall amount by swallowing less air, and most of us don't even know it. So if you don't burp, does it become farts? The answer, I think, is yes. Quinn, welcome to the team. John, good to have you back. Everybody, not next week. We'll see you the week after that. Cooking Issues.